Hello everyone, this is R.W. Lee, and you are listening to Evenings in Church History, the goal of which is to connect Christians to their past to influence the future. Let's get started. It has been said of Christianity in the West that all roads lead to Augustine. Certainly it seems that way, and much of Protestantism as well as Roman Catholicism. In fact, the Reformation of the 16th century and following has been said to be the victory of Augustine's theology of salvation over his theology of the church. What exactly does that mean? Who was Augustine of Hippo, and how has he influenced us in a lasting way? Well, in today's episode, we're kicking off a three-part series on Augustine of Hippo. Augustine was born in North Africa on November 13, 354, in the military backwater of Thagaste, which is near modern-day Algeria. In Augustine's time, this was a North Africa that had been conquered by Rome for about 550 years, and thus was completely Romanized in terms of its government and culture. Augustine was no exception to this rule. His father, Patricius, was a middle-class Roman and made sure that his son was educated and brought up as a Roman. His mother, on the other hand, Monica, was a native Berber, one of the local people groups. We know this because of her name. It's a Berber name. It's not Roman. She was most likely of the lower classes, couldn't read or write in any modern sense. That being said, God would use her to bring about a massive change in Augustine's life that otherwise may never have happened. As a young student in Carthage, Augustine had decided to devote himself to a life of philosophy. Having gone through Christian catechesis of some kind, or Christian training, he soon realized that the God of the Old Testament was crude and barbaric, not really what he would consider to be a philosophical being. No, for Augustine, Christianity had a fundamental problem, and that was the problem of evil. Where did it come from? This sent Augustine off on a journey that would continue until his eventual conversion. He found answers, he thought, in Manichaeism for a while. This was a Persian religion that was never really popular in Persia, but had a small following in the Roman Empire. It really was a branch of Gnosticism that believed in two elements. There are these ultimate principles, light and darkness, with darkness being the originator of this physical world, while the human soul was a product of the light. And these two were constantly in conflict. This, for Augustine, explained his fundamental issue with evil. Yet as Augustine began to ask questions, the teachers he met with in Manichaeism failed to provide him with satisfactory answers. But they did promise him that there would come one who could answer his questions. The legendary Faustus, a great teacher in the Manichaean cult. However, when he did arrive, Augustine was extremely unimpressed. It was at this point that he begins to take his mind and thoughts elsewhere, away from Manichaeism, 
and begins to open up to maybe other possibilities. By 384, Augustine had become the professor of rhetoric at the University of Milan. This was a significant position, and one that afforded Augustine many of the luxuries he had not been privy to before. Around this time, he also began to dabble in Neoplatonist thought. In Neoplatonism, evil does not have an existence in and of itself. It's not a material thing. Rather, it is the misdirection of a virtue from its true object. For example, lust could be viewed as the misdirection of love. Additionally, he began to attend church services with his mother, Monica, when she arrived in Milan. Ambrose, the famous preacher, was teaching there every Sunday, and Augustine was very influenced by him. In particular, he appealed to Augustine's intellect in his allegorization of the Old Testament. Some passages that had previously caused Augustine trouble now were given new hope and new light with this new method of allegory. By 386, at the age of 32, Augustine was no closer to finding the truth than he had been at the age of 18. He had intellectually become convinced of the truthfulness of Christianity, in no small part due to the influence of Ambrose and his mother Monica. He had also read the conversion accounts of two figures. The first was a Neoplatonist philosopher by the name of Victorinus, who had converted to Christianity. The second was a monk by the name of Antony, whom he had read about in Athanasius's Life of Antony. Yet this realization that he was no closer to the truth distraught Augustine. He fled out one afternoon to a garden where he wandered, pondering over the supposed conundrum that he was in. And it was there that he heard a child say these famous words. Tala lege, tala lege, take up and read, take up and read. Augustine then, in his own words, recounts the incident when he says, So I hurried back to the place where Alpius was sitting, for when I stood up to move away, I had put down the book containing Paul's epistles. I seized it and opened it. And in silence I read the first passage on which my eyes fell, not in reveling and drunkenness, not in lust and wantonness, not in quarrels and rivalries. Rather, arm yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. Spend no more thought on nature and nature's appetites. I had no wish to read more and no need to do so. For in an instant, as I came to the end of the sentence, it was as though the light of confidence flooded into my heart and all the darkness of doubt was dispelled. Augustine was converted then in the August of 386. By spring of 387, he was baptized by Ambrose and thus began the life of the most influential figure in Christianity outside of the Apostle Paul. A historian by the name of Jonathan Hill wrote, the whole history of the Western Church for the last 1,500 years is the story of Augustine's influence. His influence over Western thought, religious and otherwise, is total. He remains inescapable even over 15 centuries after his death. We cannot understate 
Augustine's influence. And once he applies his mind to theology, he changes the face of Christian thinking for centuries to come. In fact, Christianity in the West, in either the Roman Catholic or Protestant traditions, would not exist were it not for Augustine in some way. However, I think it's important to note that Augustine was first and foremost a pastor. He loved his flock. God had called him to serve them. And I think his life most assuredly reflects his love for the God who saved him. So as we approach Augustine, let us approach him as the man that he was, one dedicated to serve his Savior. I'd like to close with a quote from Augustine's Confessions. In a way, his prayerful autobiography of his life as a Christian. In Book 1, Chapter 1, he writes, Can any praise be worthy of the Lord's majesty? How magnificent his strength! How inscrutable his wisdom! Man is one of your creatures, Lord, and his instinct is to praise you. He bears about him the mark of death, the sign of his own sin, to remind him that you thwart the proud. But still, since he is a part of your creation, he wishes to praise you. The thought of you stirs him so deeply that he cannot be content unless he praises you. Because you made us for yourself, and our hearts find no peace until they rest in you. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, CastBox, Stitcher, or whatever app you're using to listen. It seems insignificant, but it goes a long way. If you'd like to, feel free to recommend this podcast to your friends or anyone that you might know who would be interested. Also, I just want to say, personally, thank you for joining me this evening in church history.